0: Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human podcast. This is episode 340 and I had a conversation with Dr. Timothy Shaw. Dr. Shaw is a philosopher who studies moral injury and religion. He's the director of the Australian think tank Great Philosophical Problems. Their mission is to quote, provide unifying definition for the construct of moral injury to address suicide in veteran and wider civilian populations, unquote. So we discussed the philosophical and real-world ramifications of soldiers' actions in war. Uh, we talked about life and death in general and the philosophical natures behind those two things. It goes in all sorts of directions. This was my favorite kind of conversation, and I'm looking forward to you hearing it. Check out Hey Human Podcast for links and to learn more about my guests and the show. Check out SusanRuth.com to learn more about me and my other artistic endeavors. Please follow Susan Ruthism and Hey Human Podcast on social media. Find my albums on Apple Music or wherever you get your music. They're under Susan Ruth and my most recent record is called All I Ever Wanted Was Everything also check out my relationships and sex show. It's called Are We There Yet? And I do it with my friend Mara Edelman, who's a sexologist and healthcare practitioner. And you can find that on youtube.com slash Are We There Yet? podcast show. And right now on that show, if you subscribe, Uh, you will be entered to win some fun prizes. There's a little video on the the show that'll explain what the prizes are and and how to do it. So definitely go check that out. Are We There Yet podcast show on YouTube. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And please share this, you know, get it around to people. Let it be known. Tell your friends all about it or your enemies, I'm not choosy, (laughs) let everybody know. All right, uh, let's get into this. Thank you for listening, take care of each other, be well, stay safe, and uh, yeah, here we go. Dr. Timothy (laughs) Shaw, welcome to Hey Human. Thank you very much for having me. I looked up some of the stuff that you were involved in because I don't like to have these conversations where I come in saying, I know more than you, or I know as much as you, or I know everything you're about to say. That makes me crazy on when I listen to other podcasts, <laughs> I want to learn along with the people listening as well. So let's start with where are you from? What was your upbringing and education um, leading you on your journey?
1: Oh uh, yeah. I'm, I, I was born in, well, I'm Australian by well, Australian born and uh, I started my education um, uh, looking at science. I did a Bachelor of Science um, after, after finishing school. because I was interested in, um, I, oh, in the scientific language that describes the world. And after that, I realized there was no money in science, so I did a, a Master's <laughs> of Commerce. And when I was about to finish Master's of Commerce, the GFC happened. So I said, right, back to university. And I, would, I wanted to do a PhD um, in moral injury <coughs> Um, which at the time I was interested in, but I didn't have the prerequisites. So I did a, a master's in looking at how the just war tradition shapes our psychologies in relation to um, moral injury, or how it has done from when soldiers or Christian soldiers first decided to go to war, or what wars they were to fight in, even, um, and how they were to justify the killing of enemy enemy combatants. And then uh, I finally had the prerequisites to do a PhD, which I did in looking at how moral injury has been understood in a post-Holocaust Jewish uh, sense, um, through the work of a French existential philosopher called Emmanuel Levinas, who was a a, a, a very significant intellectual post the Second World War, uh, who followed on from Martin Heidegger, um, understanding um, the self in relation um, to, ideas such as death and the finitude of such events for one's understandings of oneself and that's what led me to be unemployed So, so um, after after some longer years of unemployment, um, I, I was I was tacitly aware of the fact that uh, the field of moral injury, and it has started to um, arrange itself around these ideas uh, that I was looking at in, in my PhD on the meaning and meaninglessness of suffering, and how um, and and how meaning of suffering is understood in morally injurious terms. Um, because those are the ideas that have been expressed and are shifting um, as we uh, move from very uh, societies that are connected with religion to more uh, atheistic societies and atheistic um, psyches.
0: Were you, as a child, were you uh, more of a moral, upstanding, ethical? the family has given you a set of rules and you will stick to them sort oh, of person? Yeah, that's or? a good
1: question. Um, I was uh, brought up um, just being very polite. And I think that if you're a polite person, you have to have a very strong ethical backbone to maintain that politeness in the face of outstanding odds. So that, that's the sort of um, uh, upbringing uh, that, I, that, that I had. And there was also an upbringing that was um, had a lot of um, uh, uh, lot of sport. I was an I was I was a aspiring Olympian at one point uh, for swimming, which which after you know fourteen and fifteen year old kids beat you, you have to start to question your drive to win, which is uh, which was a, a horrible moment.
0: Are your parents uh, intellectuals? Were they teachers? Um, no, my uh, my father,
1: he's uh, uh, my father's. Um, family background is from Europe. Um, uh, they came over. Um, uh, grandparents were from Russia and from from France, sort of escaping that uh, Europe as it was. And um, and my, uh, my mother's ancestry is is from Australia. Um, and the, and the school that I went to is uh, um, in in Australia. We have sort of different classes of not different classes of schooling, but we have an education that is a Catholic Catholic inspired or or has ideas of um, I don't know Christianity or, or New Testament ideas or inspired ideas that are inspired by Catholic teaching. And I went to a, a Catholic a Catholic um, uh,
0: boys' school. Oh, so you're probably, probably pretty good at Latin then. <laughs> oh,
1: you know, I was so bad at I was so bad at Latin, but I, I did get. It was very hard to get because we had a rating system of A to D and a effort system of one to five, and I got D one. We, which showed that I really was bad because <laughs> I tried, at least I tried.
0: <laughs> you know, let's, let's be honest. If, even if you studied that as a kid, my parents made me go to a uh, Latin summer camp. So I think that was my dad's way of making sure I never had sex. <laughs>
1: oh, it's it's, a, it's, a, it's <laughs> true. It's, I know.
0: You don't really need it unless you're going to grow up and be a doctor or, you know, an archaeologist or something. I don't know that it's necessarily. Not
1: not true. I I needed it recently when I was trying to come up with putting the Think Tank logo together, which it's a quote from a very famous book, Thus Spake Zarathustra, who says, um, the stillest words bring the storm and footsteps that come on the feet of doves steer the world. And so when you think about like, what are the ideas that steer the world, um, uh, what are stillest ideas and what are these still ideas that steer the world in relation to peace and harmony? Because um, while you have a lot of people battling or great events, these great events are still in relation to big um, meta-principles um, of peace that societies cluster around Christianity being one, um, you know, Judeo is a, a Judea, uh, the Judeo faith being another, um, you know, gr- Greek. These these ideas of how to have peace um, and footsteps that come on the feet of doves uh, that steer the world. These are, these are the very um, uh, thoughts that come on the feet of doves to the These are these are the ideas that I'm interested in in trying to understand in relation to moral
0: injury. Were you raised religious at all, or did you just happen to go to a Catholic school because it's a great education, obviously? Yeah, look, um, I it
1: was, it was more for the education. I was given the 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 choice. Uh, my my um, uh, parents were not religious, although my mother seems to have um, become more so religious. It's it's uh, it's a, it's fascinating to see one of your parents, uh, you know. Not really talk about God or anything or any sort of faith in your childhood to sort of uh to come to that later in life I, uh it's uh, it's it's one of the wonders i guess of of um of the world
0: she might be hedging her so, back too as she gets older <laughs>
1: uh, you know i i don't i i think it look i think it must be just you know wanting to have um well you know as as mothers or as a mother, you know she's she's created. She's put something out into the world, and now she wants maybe something back from the world in terms of some meaning or mm-hmm. or some. I'm, I'm not too sure. It's like uh, it, it's a beautiful thing to see, nonetheless.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I I think that that journey is a is a fascinating one, especially if you come to it. Of your own volition and not because someone has told you you have to believe that or you must think that way. Let people know uh, what you mean when you talk about moral injury, because I don't know that that's a term that people really hear every day.
1: Sure. Uh, Well, moral injury uh, has been around in the literature for maybe three decades. Uh, It's been credited um, as started by Jonathan Shea, who said moral injury is. Um, a feeling of when you get let down by someone in legitimate authority. And that's, um, and that's morphed into a clinical idea of moral injury, which is, um, a perpetratory, a perpetrative injury. So an injury that you might get from your own perpetration, um, which is, uh, different to the injuries or the trauma that we might get as a post traumatic stress from being victim of a situation um so there's a there's like a there is a perpetrative um idea that comes through that can come through or can be developed in moral injury which is very hard to develop in post-traumatic stress disorder
0: like a soldier who's never killed anyone that then goes out and kills someone because they're doing it for a duty what that does to them if it's it's a moral ambiguity line they have to cross yes
1: yes Yes. You wouldn't really say that you're a victim of you killing someone, right? It's not, you can't really, you can't really uh, prosecute that argument because you're a victim of killing someone, but yeah, that person is dead. So you, the argument is uh, more looked at <laughs> in the moral <clears throat> understandings of what it means to take a life. Or, and, and the taking of life is just the most extreme example of the term or uh, how the term is used and construed um at the moment but it 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 does um loosen up um uh considerably um as it uh, especially in the literature you've got you know the moral injury after covid for example i mean what does that actually really mean right What what is a moral injury and my definition of moral injury or the definition that i've uh borrowed from a gentleman called. Oh, a veteran called Frederick Nietzsche, who is also a, a giant of philosophy and psychoanalytics, thankfully, is um, he says that, look, a moral injury, when you think about moral injury, um, perhaps there's an event, you've come, come back from war, and, and he says, look, terrible events have this propensity to when we experience them or look into the, that abyss, sometimes that abyss looks back into us and we, question ourselves um are we not bad w- what is the origin of our goodness um and he sees a moral injury um in this um attempt or this first attempt at self criticism and if you can't uh, reconcile the uh, the the self uh, the uh, disruption of the psyche of a will to truth that starts to take one down a process of moral moral injury Or articulating uh, uh, values that have been um, decimated by an event, or by one's understandings of oneself in relation to an event, or 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 along those lines.
0: Do you think then there would be less moral injury, less PTSD, even if we were able to see our shadow selves more clearly? As, for example, when I've interviewed a couple of people that have taken that are murderers that are in prison, Mm. and. In order to do that i have to see the murderer in myself i talk about that a lot on this show is that i think part Mm. of the problem with humanity is that we do ride around on these high horses without realizing that in any situation we're capable of literally anything and we'd like to think that we have been raised with some sort of moral structure or or ethical structure which is pretty wiggly really because people who consider themselves quite moral religion as you mentioned You know, they, they dip into immorality quite easily under the guise of religion. So it's, it's it's interesting if we all kind of threw the gloves off maybe and said, oh, wait, we're all kind of assholes a little bit that maybe we wouldn't have such issues with that.
1: Well, that, that is exactly the point. Um, Nietzsche, he, 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 he went to war as a medical orderly, as a captain, medical orderly. And He's uh, and Because uh, he'd volunteered for military service, he didn't have to do it, and he came back from war and the first thing he did was hand his citizenship back to the mm-hmm. state in which he had volunteered to serve. And at that moment, uh, he, he started to write his first book ever, which was The Birth of Tragedy, which was looking at really what was going on and happening in his mind. And he finished uh, 10 years later from The Birth of Tragedy to The Joyous Wisdom. And his take-home message in The Joyous Wisdom or what he says, I've been silent about many things, but I refuse to be silent about my morality, which says to me, you may wish to help people, but only those people whose suffering you understand entirely and only, um, and only in the way in which you help yourself and, and, and only your friends because, you know, and you think that you are a good person, but if you care back, you, are you a good you're a good person because you have to believe you're a good person because you're helping people that are around you. But are you helping other people in need? And if you know that there are other people in need, how do you know that your help is even been, you know, um, is manifesting in, in a way in which delivers the most outcomes to the most people in need? And he goes on that journey as, a, as, a, as someone that is there to heal people and that came back from war um, because uh, the, the battle that he fought was he was a healer and it was a siege. And there were very few casualties from military engagements, but there was uh, disease, um, malnutrition, um, dysentery that wiped out all these people. And he said, hang on a second, these are happening on both sides. There are people dying inside the walls. There are people dying outside the walls. I'm helping the people that are dying outside the walls, but they're not dying from anything inside the walls. You know, how do I justify this terrible war between two people that are just struggling to even survive now. Um, they can't even eat, you know, and, and that really troubled him as someone that was there to, um, uh, that, that, that was very proud to go to war and to fight for his country. And, th- and some of these ideas um, are articulated in um, contemporary military um, cohorts. We, you come back and you think, you know, bright-eyed, bushy tail going out there with firm beliefs and firm views. And what happens out there, that starts to change those firm beliefs and firm views and that um, disruption to the psyche of a will to truth and that change manifests itself in a problem in us, which is that moral injury or, or, or that, that the process of, of, of becoming morally injured.
0: Well, and the will to truth is, is an elusive term, I feel like, because –
1: it's,
0: oh yeah, it's on a gray scale. What one person's truth is certainly not another. And then you bring up, of course, like you said, if there's people on opposite sides, they think they're both morally uh, correct in whichever war they're waging. And the reality is, mm-hmm. there's really no difference between them. Look at like the Serbian war, right? And and suddenly, people from Bosnia and people from Serbia who were drinking coffee with each other one day, and the next day they're shooting at each other to kill. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no. Where is
0: that line?
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, um, getting back quickly to the will of truth, just to um, put your mind at ease on a difficult term, and it is difficult because there is, all, there is what you're saying about um, the subjectivity of truth, which is dealt with in the, um, the just war tradition. So, for example, they grant the fact that each side might believe that they're in the right, and in granting that, that each side is in the right, people become not innocent on the other side, not because of any moral innocence, but because they pose a threat. So, you know, the, 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 the person that's been, the conscript that, um, that really has no political intention, doesn't want to ha- harm you, is uh, so he's importantly innocent in a way, but becomes non-innocent in the fact that they pose a threat to you. And right. that is <clears throat> a removal of moral innocence. The term of a will to truth is also... Um, What Nietzsche um, uses to talk about this very long process that's happened for about two thousand years, where or with the Catholic or with the Christian idea of um, you can be saved if you are truthful, right? All you need to be is truthful. Okay, you come, you tell us your truths, and we will take that burden off you. Um, That will to truth is being credited with the stages of enlightenment for um, uh, Christian societies as they separated, they used truth to separate from God in an important way, even though truth was prop- uh, propounded by God the use of that truth separates one from that God um, or and drags society out from that God as well and so that's what he's saying as well, there is um, the will to truth that undercuts belief
0: is original sin then connected to moral injury or not
1: fundamentally so yes fundamentally so original sin is primary so um nietzsche sees original sin as um the primary mover um for societies he says that particularly in the christian sense the fact that we uh we used original sin Uh, to hone our virtues. So um, we were always orientated to a virtue that was otherwise than being. And in this orientation to, um, and if uh, you were always seen as lesser or as in a a fallen state to a higher ideal, right? And that was the separation of the animal or the anima. A a child raised by wolves doesn't have this original sin complex or the guilt complex that goes along with it.
0: Wouldn't that be nice?
1: <laughs> Wouldn't that be I, exactly right? You know, I yeah, no, and 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 that and, and that idea is, um, is looked at in this work, Thus Zarathustra, where um, uh, Nietzsche says, well, for the self that suffers from itself, he goes, that's terrible. You, you know, you're the only way to, to um, to break through his idea to deal with moral injury was, um, when, when you've got um, a a virtue, right. <clears throat> what is the origin of that virtue okay so you you might have a a virtue um uh of sacrifice right but have you been told that to sacrifice something is good for you to do um and if you sacrifice you'll be a good person or is your sacrifice understood in terms of um the the need of somebody else and for a good person to, to, to understand the origin of your meaning for sacrifice, because we never really truly understand it as we're taught it, he says that you have to reduce that idea of sacrifice down to zero um, and re-articulate to, to, as the only way to understand what the value of virtues really are is, is to articulate them down to zero and see um, the wellspring of that virtue spring back up through it, and that's the this sort of, Renewal process that he talks about in in um, and gives a a schema for in *Dustbag Zarathustra*, which is his uh, one of his works that came just after *The Gay Science*, which 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 rounded out this ten year period from the birth of tragedy when he finished uh, came back from war to a joyous wisdom, and then after he did that process, that ten year year process, he wrote about it in a book called *Dustbag Zarathustra*.
0: But with that argument can anyone truly be morally upright if let's just say i do like the that saying in the bible let the left hand know what not what the right hand is doing or maybe it's the other way around it's the idea that you know you see it on social media all the time people say oh i just did this really great thing but yes you're that on behalf of your ego you know yes oh, you did yeah. a great yes. thing but it mm, comes yes. in partnership with the ego and if you are an ego-based you know, we it's nearly impossible, maybe some Sufi on a mountain somewhere, but it was nearly impossible to escape our ego. Therefore, are we never moral? No,
1: it's a great question. So, uh, um, Nietzsche sees the ego as something um, that is to be overcome, um, and particularly oh, in um, the society. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, it's to be overcome. Um, and um, he says that, but, Overcoming the ego is something that has you know, recently come into existence in Western um, countries, in, in sort of a very advanced Christian countries. Overcoming the ego is, is more associated with um, the religiosity of the East um, and of ego death. <clears throat> now, there's not that much... The, the ego death associated with the church is something completely different with the ego death of the, the eastern philosophies which are trying to become more holistic um so if you're if your ego death of the church you know i mean what even is the ego of the church or of christian of christian um, psyches in hundred in those hundreds of years that have led up to this point point? and so he says that you know, we're sick of waiting for the second coming and that moralising of uh, morals or articulation of morality. And we're here now for that first lightning of ego death. And to, to the church is finding it very difficult to articulate a first lightning um, for um, Western spirituality. And, um, and I think that's one of the big challenges that Vatican II um is going to be wrestling with for uh, going forward.
0: If I feel like there's commentary on ego death in the in the Judeo-Christian tome definitely cuz th- I think Jesus is always poking at people in the New Testament saying, "Hey, look, you're you're being kind of, you're being a dick. Yeah, you're doing this, yeah, yeah. you're doing this for really selfish reasons." Mm. You know, be like, "Me, I'm just doing it cuz cuz I'm me," you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, mm. it, it's it's interesting. So does that mean that maybe pessimists are all better off because they sort of see uh, through the veils of things?
1: Well, the ego death that um Jesus is talking about is a very activated ego death, right? It's like, you know, his ego death was um inspired a will to truth and power. See, there's a lot of ego death in um in our society, which is, you know, um, you know, a jade Buddha, so to speak, where you know, nothing sort of uh, affects you, and you know if and while you might have reached some sort of inner peace, is that the end point for a Christian who is there, or their psychologies are honed to um, to seek out injustice, or so we believe our psychologies are there to do.
0: And then, what happens with kids who are in theory free from ego, but in a lot of religions? Well, a lot of I should say Christian-based religions. Uh, that if a child dies before they're baptized, for example, they are condemned to a not very fun experience until they. Oh no! You know. No. So how does that figure in? If, if oh
1: look, I think I think those are the those are the ideas that just aren't. Um, people just don't agree with them. People do not agree with those ideas anymore, and good on people for not agreeing with those ideas. You know, it's like. Um, It's almost to say that you know there is a capital. See, the church is moving away from this idea of capital punishment, right? So you could say that you know the um, capital punishment comes from the moral authority of of a um, of a legitimate higher authority to put people to death, right? Now or to condemn people. Um, The problem is, is that for that for there to be redemption in any condemnation, one must um agree uh, acknowledge um the punishment so if you want absolution for anything you have to acknowledge one's guilt and i think that children importantly can't acknowledge that guilt and therefore it's very difficult to demand like uh, you know that such a thing occurred
0: my roommate she was um uh sort of the fire and brimstone baptist and this was in college and i remember her telling me that it was very sad that babies weren't going to get to go to heaven because they weren't baptized and i just thought that's the craziest thing i've ever heard.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no that's the, like, the one of the most innocent i innocent um yeah, that's uh the the ideas of um innocence um construed uh through societies are also very important for moral injury, so in the in the gay science where um, where Nietzsche has has come through this journey and he says um, we, it, without God or without these institutions or these beliefs in god what um, uh, what festivals of atonement and what sacred games will we have to invent for ourselves in order to you know um, uh, um, live in an unencumbered state do one must we not become gods ourselves in order to um to shake off this very heavy um uh he calls it um uh, this very heavy past of christianity and and moral moral thinking um he he, he saw this idea or this um uh this this reckoning that was to come for the christian psychology as a madness that, um, a while, that historians don't write about, but at some time, at some time in the future, physicians would. And um, the, the, the corpus of work on moral injury is the writing of this uh, event that um, has been brought about by the, this, these ideas of uh, what's been termed the death of God and, and what that means um, uh, for, for, for one's uh, psychic states of grace.
0: Right, one of his most famous... Commentary straight about god
1: yeah yeah aphorism one twenty five on the gay science so that's that one of his most famous uh, works was uh, the end point of his journey of moral injury from um, uh, the, the birth of tragedy to the gay science, and that is one of the center points of the gay science that understanding or you know um, that cry because it's it's not a it's not a joyful um you know, God's dead. Yes, that's funny. It's a, it's like a lamentation of how do we make this right? Uh, you know, we've killed him. All the blood. How do we? How do we clean ourselves from this murder of God? I mean, how? How do we make us, us who are unclean now clean? Uh, once we understand the implications of 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 such an act um, that that we've caused.
0: I—I I mean, I have an answer for him. That I always thought that if we finally realize that God is inside of us, that we are gods, that each we are all part of a, a grand scheme of connected Godness, that that might relieve yeah. some of the pressure. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> no, definitely. he, he yeah. went mad, right? He ended up dying kind of early and going insane. It, it was-
1: oh, I, it, it's called divine mania. So what he did—he—he um—he was uh in a in a marketplace and um. He broke down on seeing the whipping of a horse um, and he never- Horse he or horse?
0: Like horse? My, my, my or horse? Like, hey, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it,
1: was, uh, it was the former. But <laughs> knowing him, it might have been the latter. Um, <laughs> he, um, uh, but, but um, and, you know, the whipping of these horses, uh, so he, um, for Nietzsche, as, as someone that was always looking to heal people, um, that was, you know, that's what sent him on his journey of even pre- that was his pre-philosophy, pre-philosopher veteran days uh, or active service days, trying to heal people. The siege that he was at, it was famous for the destruction and death of horses. Which um, uh, that when they reached the city gates, all the um, shrubbery had been eaten off. The the horses that were alive and hadn't been eaten, because so I think they were being eaten at a rate of two thousand a day. Skeletons everywhere. The ones that were there were standing, you know, um, on on all four, all fours together, toppling over. And those events, right, uh, and the inhumanity of um, such uh, such predicaments, or hu- humans humans being inhumane, is something um, that he found intolerable, um, and uh, and always had.
0: It seems like such a circular argument because. I think left to their own devices, I would, I would like to believe in the good of humanity. I would. But I also believe that people defer to tribalism. Uh, humanity, maybe the way they see themselves as humane, but the, in reality, as you said earlier, if you're othering, there's no way to be humane, right? There is no humanity in othering. It just doesn't. Those two things don't mm. go together.
1: There is one way it goes together. So he said um, uh, the existential philosopher Levinas, he says, hang on a second, if we um, try and use empathy to empathize with someone else, the very use of that empathy is an ontological violence upon someone else where we can just as easily excuse their suffering as respond to it. And he said the very othering of someone else which draws one into." it, it, that othering is something that can be responded to underneath one having to even empathise with it, and that, um, neatly, fixed that's tri- that neatly fixed that trick. That neatly fix that trick for him. So he, he, it, it's, it's, it is a fundamental problem in philosophy that uh, that you that you uh, pinpointed.
0: But that's the best thing about philosophy, right? Is that it, it creates arguments that have to to spiral on and on and on and on. Oh I mean, yeah, yeah, that's the fun of it. You might have to buy your philosopher a cup of coffee, but you will not be without something to talk about.
1: <laughs> that's very true. I encourage that as well.
0: <laughs> so, how do you use all of this in uh, in your work? Where where are you heading with it? How does it? How do you, in, do you help people? understand themselves and maybe move past guilt or horrors of what they've hmm. seen in war.
1: Well, at the, at the moment where um, there's a few projects that we're, um, that we're looking at, uh, we're building up a, a obviously the first, uh, well, it's, there's two, two points. Sadly, the, ver- the only way to talk to States is um, and make States realize um, uh, and, and I don't say these in any order. This is just a, w- a way of introducing it. Um, the only way to make states um, uh, wary of their responsibilities, because a state isn't a moral creature, right? It, bor- it, it doesn't experience moral injury, it's, it's only there to, perpetu- uh, to perpetuate itself. So, how do you talk to a state? Well, you might say, well, you should help, You should. You, this, these issues are important and a lot of Gen Z people are very despondent about this because they say these issues are important, the state does nothing. Mm. A way to start talking about to the state is say these issues are important because guess what? The people that are fighting for your wars are coming back and they are committing suicide at one per hour. And what is it about... Let's sort of unpack this new understanding of suicide in your veteran populations, the people that have cared for um, the country, that have served the state. Um, Rather, you know, um, veterans are very particular because they know what it is like. Uh, Everyone is expectant of what the state can do for them. You know, soldiers are one of the very few people that have actually served the state in in a very um, hard and meaningful way and are certainly owed by the state in a very material way mm-hmm. so there's there's that sort of justice idea and there's also of course um the <coughs> the ideas of thus spake zarathustra and um the uh, he the main aim of that book um uh, it's under the chapter out of service um because uh, nietzsche was a soldier as well is to put every sorrow for one again on firm land and firm legs and here he's talking about so, so, people from war that have, that have had to, that have had their humanity shaken and, and, and are looking at ways in which to start to talk about this in, internally in their own internal conversations about what war meant to them. Um, and that's the, those are the sort of messages and, and working through with people that have come back from war, these ideas and these narratives that are expressed in, in, in the corpus of a philosopher who's in the hands of veterans is so much more powerful than in the hands of academics. He is a philosopher for the veteran community. He is a veteran. He didn't start work, writing his books until after he came back from war.
0: What would, do you think he would have said about those who I have a friend who is a, a Marine, who is a sniper. who's like the elite sniper in, in the Marine Corps who's he's probably killed, you know, god only knows how many people uh as was commanded by his job uh Mm -hmm. and he said to me Mm -hmm. once he said you know the marines turned me into a serial killer but they never uh, they never put me back they never put me back together they never took that out of me and so now Mm -hmm. he goes through his life i don't think that he feels guilty about what he has done because he felt that he served a purpose and that what he was doing was morally right and I, you know, we could argue for that, of course, absolutely. What about people that, don't, that aren't undone by what they've experienced or what they've felt? Or is, this, is there still a way to get in there and maybe readjust yeah. someone?
1: I, I've, I've had some chats um, with uh, p- uh, similar um, persons who've, who've even, even having in your sight a child, not even if you pull the trigger, but even having even being put in a situation where you have to track your, the sights of an assault rifle on a child, that calls into question what you're really doing. If you're, the, if you're asymmetric warfare, there's challenges that arise in every warfare. But if you're an elite, trained, special forces uh, person, it must take a toll. Or for some people, it does take a toll. They never thought that their training would have brought them to the point of tracking children um, uh, through through the sites of, of weapons. And um, and it's a hard question.
0: I don't think there is yeah. an answer at all, but no. it's something to think on, you know? And then, yes. and then, of course, there's the argument, well, oh, well, those children are strapped with C9 or those children, you know, are, are yes. walking bombs. And you think, okay, that's great. But did they make that choice? No. So mm. uh, who? It's it's a really it 's complicated
1: and, and this is what um, uh, Nietzsche he calls upon this population as a population that um, uh, because they have started to understand um, their obligations to other people in this way, have got the, uh, have really um, a lot to teach society because you know they have really done some hard um, mental work he, you know the heroes. Um, Soldiers of the mind, so to speak, because they have been prompted to think about themselves in relation to these ideas, which, you know, everyone on the street, which they walk past and become ever increasingly alienated to, um, through this reason, do not talk or, or think about um, uh, in, in such ways. mm
0: mm-hmm. Which then creates its own little ticking time bomb, of course. Yeah.
1: Yes. The
0: the right to to live or die, there is a a great ambiguity to it. Like, for example, let's throw out there suicide, for example. Not suicide of a soldier because I think that's exacerbated by what they're experiencing and they don't know how to carry that burden. So that's something different. But what about, let's say, uh, the right to die in a terminally ill person? Are they committing murder by taking themselves out? Is there an ambiguity to that? Is that? They're causing moral injury to the people left behind, likely, right, who don't want mm-hmm. them to die, but they have a right to do with the dominion of themselves. They have that autonomy. They should have that autonomy.
1: Well, well can you imagine not having that? We can't imagine it. So suicide or the thought of suicide, if, you know, if you're put in a position where you can't commit suicide, if you're in a straitjacket or something, but like that is a an extreme um, loss of autonomy and, and personal uh, and some personal freedoms, and even the thought of you know I can commit suicide it's a distinctly human thought, and that thought that even that you can even think about taking your own life is a way or or a mechanism to so to show or to sow the extraordinariness of life, the fact that you can even think about taking it away into um, the condition of what being a human is. Um, and uh, because, you know, at the, on the one time, we want to maintain the dignity of suicide and death for people, while on the other hand, uh, you know, maintaining its tragedy for the young, um, which is, a you know, it's, it's, it's a balancing act that takes continual discussion and social engagement with. I mean, um, Australia was one of the first countries to introduce a, a, legal, a, a legal euthanasia machine. Um, I think it's in the London Museum now.
0: I interviewed the guy that invented that machine.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. The creation of these ideas at the time, they just slipped through, right? They slipped under the radar. <laughs> then, like the, you know, the, um, you know society sort of t- took a glance at really what this meant. They, the discussions weren't there, or the, or the grammar and, and the, the, the moral grammar or the lexicon wasn't there to sort of talk about these things. That were taken off the shelf. They're slowly being replaced on the shelf as we as we speak, I, I imagine.
0: Yeah, and depending on the country too, humans are yeah. really weird about talking about death. Really yeah. weird about it. It's it's for considering how often people do death-defying things like smoking or jumping out of an airplane or whatever they do that puts themselves into or driving their car really fast, or you know, whatever it is, it's it's like we're constantly flirting with the idea of not being here. I think that's so interesting about humans.
1: Mm. Well, that's um, uh, for Heidegger, one's own death, because no one else could experience your own death for you, your own death drew you into authenticity. And then it was for Levinas that said, while no one's going to experience your own death for you, sure, but your death is the lack of experience as you and thus, you never experience your own death, and the closest way you experience your own death is the death of another person. Mm. And, and, that, and, and, and that sort of uh, subverts the, um, the nihilistic tendency of one's own, the, the fact that, you know, I'm going to die and I'm my own modicum of meaning. Um, and it, that's a, that's a, that can itself become a dangerous spiral, which we saw um, well, Heidegger was associated with a na- with Nazi, uh, the a Nazi movement, and and those sort of hardline total tot- and totalities in philosophy and politics.
0: Talk about causing moral injury. The Nazis—they, oh. you know, oh yeah, oh. they're at the no, top of the list. There, <laughs> not that there aren't plenty of atrocities happening all over the world all the time. The Nazis have the best press corps. So, but you know, there's certainly that kind of that belief that some people are less than to the extent where they are truly treated like lab like lab animals get treated better than the way some people were treated during that war so
1: um, oh, definitely yeah. the, the, the ideas of the holocaust the fact that um, you know first uh, you know affluent nations of socialized people could create factories to kill people on, on European soil it, co- um, it caused a breakdown it caused an event where we said never again. Right? How do you articulate the never again of the Holocaust? Well, the articulation, the throw and forward articulation of the Holocaust, it's not in the um, the state or the establishing of a state of Israel. It was the articulation of new ideas of condemnation that came at Nuremberg, where the idea of uh, genocide or the charge of genocide was invented just to give moral condemnation to the Nazis. And when genocide wasn't even enough, they abstracted genocide to crimes against humanity, and that was the birthplace of crimes against humanity. And after World War II, we have we're all post a crimes against humanity age, and the articulation of that age for our psychologies is we feel, you know, that there are there are famines, um, there are easily uh, fixable problems with any form of willpower uh, and, and political will which aren't being done. And we think to ourselves, well, this is a great hypocrisy and, and disgust uh, that a lot of uh, younger generations feel about the the world and about how it's been managed um, and about the politics of the day.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. And the thing the thing that's also fascinating about the crimes against humanity is and genocide and understanding what those concepts mean and having a benchmark for what it means. And, and also realizing that, as I said before, it takes place on a pretty continual basis. And then suddenly, but maybe those people are Brown. So we don't care as much or they're way across the world. They don't really look like us. So we don't care as much when great atrocities happen on a global scale. And you know mass graves piling up with bodies, this kind of thing, and yet it doesn't give us the same touchy feelies.
1: Yeah, I mean, and this is also the the fact that when Nietzsche said, you know, you want to help, but only those people whose distress you totally identify, and only in the way in which you help yourself, and and you know, it doesn't. It, doesn't, it We need to acknowledge that we really just don't care. If we were to be honest, we do not care, because if we cared, we'd be doing something a bit different.
0: And it's not that hard to. To do something—that's the thing. I mean, it's not we have the research, yeah, we have exactly the brain right, power, you know, we have the people. Mm. It's just—it's absolute and total inaction, and that's—that's that's the thing that is the issue. Because I, something you said earlier that made me think of this—you know how um, when in America at least they suddenly deemed corporations as 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 basically as humans, so suddenly corporations <laughs> could act upon the world as if they were human and not be uh, reprimanded for any of the wrongdoing, <laughs> any of the terrible things that they do. See, humans are such a confusing species. I just, it's amazing yeah, I mean. to me that they've lasted as long as they have. But then again, sheer will is, is pretty powerful. So.
1: so so, what would be the endpoints of humanity? What, what are the touchstones of it not lasting, right? Um, the ideas of, uh, of justice, right? Of revenging something or from penalizing something; those are the very things that we're finding now are leading us to a nuclear war, where you know, where we're looking at uh, you know a, a new dawn of potentially a, a, you know a terrible, terrible situation for the world, and it's not it, these articulations of revenge and penalty that that crop up um, time and time again throughout history are the ideas that we have to keep also keep a check upon and which Nietzsche says, you know, we even have to keep a check on them when we use those mechanisms internally and we take revenge upon ourselves or we think that, you know, we should have done that or justice and instead of those um, uh, uh, adjectives, we should replace them with a a way to to pity oneself in like a healing way or in a way which... um, Kills the self that suffers from itself um, th- through, uh, and that suffering is understood in some sort of revenge or penalty, or I'm not or, or I'm not a good person, or I, or these sort of things. And and while that's a dangerous idea to have, maybe for people that don't haven't articulated or or thought about uh, what um, their obligations are in relation to other people, and all the, uh, and all the, the follow on thoughts from that. Nietzsche identifies the veteran community as a community which has articulated those ideas, which has thought about them and which is in the position to drive society forwards as it always has been because um, the the ways and means in which we fight are determinants upon the societies and the means and the ways in which we live. Um, What we deem acceptable in terms of weaponry on other people and how we deploy it are a reflection of how we understand um morals and ethics in the societies in which we live and the the power um play uh, amongst those
0: suicidal ideation aside which you know it kind of has to outsmart the brain because the brain is actively trying to keep you alive all the time it doesn't want you to die it's like no 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 that's a bad idea don't go there don't talk to that saber-toothed tiger or whatever you know don't don't drive into a brick wall don't drink the poison that's your you know don't drink the tea that smells like almonds just don't do those things and it's keeping you alive all the time and yet we also create a world in which our own demise is imminent all the time it's such a crazy juxtaposition to me yeah that's my Uh, right no
1: no no i think the juxtaposition as well um between uh, is uh, looking at the meaning of like, if you're alive, well then, yes, we're not, we're not, we haven't died and we're in societies now where, for example, fear might not be the primary or fear of being able to live is not like the primary orientating focus. We've moved to like, you know, what's the meaning to live or like we need to find meaning to make life worthwhile. And sometimes when those sort of meaning structures start to fade that's when you get, as as you were saying, that some some of that suicidal ideation, ideation and um, and that's maybe when, even though deep down, yes, the, the, the body wants to uh, live, uh, the the person um, wants to live, yes, um, but it's been tricked into thinking that it wants to die, or that it should die, or that you know there's nothing worth living for. When Nietzsche would be like, no, there is something to live for. There's always something to live for. There is intrinsic value in you as like a someone that can create value if they want to, right? And not just live on the value of, um, of, of the herd, um, uh, but go out into the desert and create some value for yourself.
0: That's my big argument for uh, the idea that in, until we're willing to have self-love and to reflect inward instead of you know, getting mad at everything around us and actually see in, a, in ourselves and learn to love ourselves – which, you know, sounds very kumbaya, but I think that's really, it does, it starts with us. And until we get to that point, we're going to be pissed off at everyone around us because we can't touch that thing in ourselves sure. that makes us go yes. worthwhile. I have something to contribute. I am, I exist. You know, therefore, therefore, you know, well, I, therefore I'm happy and I'm laughing and
1: it's, you know, our values um, are created um, by happy people. These sort of, you know, it's not, um, uh, the quote that he said is, um, values aren't um, sort of handed uh, handed down to make you happy. Values are given down by happy people, right? Mm -hmm. Happy people show you a way to live, but those values aren't there to necessarily make you happy. Right. You have to articulate those values into your own happiness, and you don't rely upon something to make you happy. You, it's your responsibility to be happy.
0: That's a tricky one, isn't it?
1: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then
0: sometimes the brain has plans of its own. If there's a chemical imbalance or whatnot, then, you know, it's got its own way to be. I've read interesting articles about people that have tried to commit suicide and you know as they're falling down or or you know as they're recovering from gunshots or whatever that they're like oh shit i didn't i didn't mean to do that that was not what i wanted to do I
1: yeah i have spare a thousand bucks in the bank account i'm going to vegas
0: yeah exactly
1: <laughs> yeah definitely of course no, I'm, I, was, I shouldn't have. but I shouldn't it's have but, so but it's I'll true but, i agree but,
0: that no, is, I know it's true. It but is, but true. that is true. I mean, that yeah, I know no, you're no. funny, but that's it's an exact that's an exact mm. point. Like if 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 I'm about, and again, I can't speak for somebody that is in such a depth of of despair that their only option that they can see is to, to take themselves out, and that's a it's a real bummer because I do believe that that we have a lot to contribute to the world, you know, individually, and if we just again, it goes back to if we see that light within ourselves. I personally, right. I, I find original sin truly to be the lack of love we feel for ourselves. That's where it really is. It has nothing to do with what oh. you do to somebody else. Because the only reason mm. we do anything to anybody else is because of how we feel about ourselves. So, yes, you know, what's the think tank doing? Then? What, your think tank. Uh, you started- well,
1: yeah, we're, um, we're getting this. Um, we're uh, speaking with the, the Wikipedia gods and, and battling the, uh, the, the Wikipedia mods. To, um, to get a, a, this fourth uh, and unifying definition of, of uh, moral injury on the radar, to get it published up there, because that provides a, a way of talking, at least a way of talking about um, what moral injury is in relation to the birth of sort of Christianity, because it is a particularly Christian thing that's started to occur in, very, in, in, in sort of post-Christian societies, what it means, um, get the discussions talking, uh, to get some discussion around that, Uh, get some recognition for veterans, for the work of nature, um, mobilize through that work um, uh, and these ideas and ways of talking to the state about um, these issues um, and enact some sort of uh, positive change in people and in the places around us.
0: How, though? How do you do that? Like, you have the idea, you get the idea, more attention, people start talking, conversation is great, but as we've both now said through this past hour – conversation doesn't do anything if there's not action so how do you plan to implement that like how do you get people on board to then take it to the next stage
1: well i believe that if you can show um uh, you can uh create show the argument of for example if we're living in the time of humanity and crimes against humanity how damaging certain wars are um and certain ways of killing are and uh, you know. Um, the reasons for going to war, if we start to talk about this, maybe we get a greater appreciation of um, strategic uh, uh, wartime goals and means. Uh, maybe the world changes a bit like that. Um, that's, a, I guess, on a, a, a broader picture. On the personal level, you know, every, everyone is going to start, society, just like PTSD before it, moral injury, While it starts off, or the ideas of moral injury start off in in, um, military populations, it will start to burgeon out. So we also want to understand really what it is and keep moral injury, um, you know, a lot of people will take ideas and try to use those ideas to really um, prosecute any sort of argument for, uh, and, and moral injury is an important idea I think it's important for the field to really understand what it is, what it's talking about, before it dilutes into nothing.
0: Are you an optimist?
1: I am. <laughs> I am. I am. Look, I, I'm. Uh, I'm a pessimist about people, but I'm an optimist about people kind.
0: <laughs> yeah, I get that completely. Absolutely, get that. So interesting. Well. This is great. I really have enjoyed this conversation. I think you and I could probably talk for hours. We'd probably go through a few pots of coffee. <laughs> this, this. Talk,
1: yeah, oh no, it's been wonderful.
0: Yeah, I, thought experiments. Uh, yeah, I love it. And I just, I think, the whole concept of where our morality exists in in our humanness is a fascinating topic.
1: And well, this is why I wear this shirt. Where is, is, is Superman moral, right? Where, where's his morality? It, does he care about humanity? Is he in Africa digging wells?
0: Superman kills yeah. a lot of innocent people in his, uh, his quest to be righteous because there are a lot of innocent bystanders exactly. that, that, that die.
1: Well, they're, they're the new mythologies, and how we under, and and maybe the only way in which you could have an ethical Superman is a Superman that was laughing. Enjoying his life and fixing things as you know, you know, just, just you know, you know, dancing along in the world, laughing and you know, stopping everything that, that he comes across. And that would be a you know a, a beautiful way to think about um how in ourselves we should respond and how we should be Superman in ourselves.
0: But if the universe is always writing itself, right, shadow and light, then it stands to reason that for every Superman there's the anti-hero, right? There's the other the the thing that superman has to come against
1: unless superman's not trying to be super
0: but is he not born into that role so that's another question are we not born into morality are we not born into (laughs)
1: that is a great that's a very big question
0: (laughs) yeah it's a big question Uh, dr shot tell people how they might find you to to know more about what you're doing Uh, your research
1: yeah, you can, you can look up the, what the Think Tank does um, just on Google. I, we gotta, we're open um, basically 24-7. got a 1-800 number. You can chat about anything you want. We've um, got a website. Um,
0: 1-800 number will people just call and talk philosophical arguments?
1: Yeah, yeah, 1-800. 800
0: That's so cool.
1: Yeah. got a forthcoming book as well.
0: What's the book that's coming out?
1: It's uh, mor- uh, Slouching Towards Moral Injury, um, Understanding <laughs> Moral Injury. You, do you see the, the, the most pillaged bit of prose in the English canon is, sla- is the, the poem by Yates, The Second Coming, right? What rough beast did our come round at last slouches towards Bethlehem to be born? That is the number one metaphor in the English language. So it's, the book is sort of saying slouching towards moral injury, trying to get um, – because to talk about these ideas, because they're so abstracted, it's important to put them in a metaphor or to put them in a, in a way that the psyche can sort of understand the progression of these ideas through time and space. And so that's, that's, what, the book, that's what the book is trying to do provide a, a lexicon and grammar to, to, to talk about it.
0: I'll put links for everything on heyhumanpodcast.com. Do, have you experienced a, a moral injury of which you are trying to learn, you know, know thyself against? Oh, look, um, I think
1: with philosophy, and this is the um, with all um, philosophers in general, whether it's Nietzsche who's um, uh, trying to articulate through his philosophy his experiences in war and who says that every philosophy is some form of unconscious autobiography or if it's Emmanuel Levinas that had his whole family murdered in the Holocaust, but instead of writing about um, uh, you know, the particular subjective nature of that, decided to make a, a form of objective narrative um, via philosophical discourse, I think that's something that every human tries to do um, for, uh, for any way um, to to process a- any form of disappointment or array of uh, mor- morally injurious um, events.
0: So technically, Man's Search for Meaning, the Viktor Frankl book would be all about this yes. as well. Yeah, great book. Yeah. I- all
1: spawned from all spawn from, um, uh, from from the Holocaust, which really, I mean, it's defined how we even remember. Uh, how do we understand memory in relation? Uh, the very big, it's it's created a luminous voluminous idea of of who we are, um, how we understand humanity, and we're we, you know, we don't remember it, but these understandings they are the the driving force. Uh, words that come in the footsteps of doves. That will steer the world. That are steering the world, and we and it's very difficult to really see that are steering the world unless you start zooming back and zooming back, which is also uh, which is very difficult to do um, when you when you're in in the thick of it, so to speak.
0: But are we not both simultaneously marching toward peace as we are toward the Holocaust? Don't we? Aren't we in both those places all the time?
1: Well, I think I think that um, imagine the fact that pre world war ii there were crimes against god right you could ch- uh, if you saw god walking down the street um, and he said you know we should release a plague of we should kill every third born in the in the neighborhood across the way there because they're bad people you might say hang on a second we'll charge god we can charge god with crimes against humanity right but we can't charge humanity nowadays with crimes against god and it's a new paradigm which is slowly starting to diffuse internationally through our psyches and through our societies. Um, through, I mean, we've got the abolition of the death penalty in 2018 by the Catholic Church. It said, hang on a second, we now no longer have moral authority to even substantiate the death penalty, and that is a, um, a tacit acknowledgement of these understandings, all these words that come in the footsteps of doves that steer the world um, and that are changing things ever so um, uh, subtly around us,
0: the idea that they're pro-life and pro-death penalty, and they no one could ever see oh. how that doesn't work. You can't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But but it's definitely it's definitely the way a lot of people feel. Just fascinating. Again, humans. Am I so, right? It's, <laughs> it's
1: fascinating. Like, look, fascinating is one word for it. As scary as another, and like uh, frustrating. You know, and, a frustrating, and, and but that frustration is being borne out ever more strongly in ever more younger generations as religion is uh, dropping. Mm-hmm. These, under- those dominant understandings will certainly find themselves in the minority. And how these articulations are switched and the, and the ways and means it's doing it, and you've got the Wade versus Road um disaster, um, uh, how these things um are talked about and understood in society will become and are very, very important um, bellwether issues.
0: Yeah, we hang a lot on the on the shoulders of the young, don't we? Um the 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 people coming yes, up we who do. we feel have not been spoiled yet, but but it's not so hard to corrupt someone. It really isn't. And we World War II is oh, very a very example of that. Yeah. <clears throat> and not just with money. I mean with just uh, the power is an elixir or popularity is an elixir or You know, fame, which is Mm. can be different than popularity. You know, a a really good rousing speech by a guy with a cute mustache. You know, I mean, it's it's wild how easy it is to manipulate someone to a darker path.
1: Well, that corruption um, of the young, I think, is also um, balanced out with whatever class you come from from a first world Western country, wherever wherever you are in that strata of people. If you're you're born into a first world Christian Western country, you have a tacit acknowledgement that, that there are people in a lot worse positions than you, right? And we have to think, how do we, you know, and then those societies are structured around making us forget that or making us pretend that even though we know it's important to, to acknowledge that, to really find solutions for that, we can give you another path and you can be happy doing that that's a it's a it's a profound sadness about how uh, how society is
0: structured well, until all of us are free, none of us are free. It's just the bottom yeah. line, and until the people like like ourselves who are born into many of the strata that are looked favorably upon that until all the people that are in that kind of power can turn around and lift up the people that are the underdogs and see them as themselves to look. Into the eyes of another person halfway around the world who, you know, is thinks differently, Mm. prays differently, whatever it is uh, to look at them and say, you're me and I'm you and let's go, let's get, let's get you some, let's get you better off. That's the thing. And I don't know what that line is to get people to see it's a human race you know astronauts talk about it that when they go up and they look at the world and they see all the different suddenly all the lines of of uh, you know countries and towns and say whatever mm. go away and what it's is, just, just it's just you know, the big blue marble, the blue dot in space, a yes. tiny an infinite mm. just tiny comparatively <laughs> to the entirety of the universe, and perhaps many universes, for all we know, and uh, is theorized, right? Which I like to think that on some timeline and some other universe, things are just so you know everything is ridiculous. I mean, the whole concept, the fact that we're even here is ridiculous. the 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 amount of things that have to coalesce to create yeah. life. It's phenomenal and to not see every single being <laughs> yeah, yeah. on the planet oh, as yeah. sacred and as sacred as you yeah. are just bonkers to me. <laughs> anyway. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think that's a, that's very, very beautifully said.
0: Oh, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Sean, thank you. I really appreciate your time and, and having these conversations. My it's, pleasure endlessly fascinating to me i could talk about this stuff non-stop much to the uh, annoyance of many of my friends but i love it and so thank you so much real pleasure and thank you for listening everybody bye rate review and subscribe to hey human on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts thanks bye